Hallelujah, and welcome to Hiding Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Anna Kim, who is a freelance cellist in New York City, both versatile in modern and Baroque cello performance. She teaches at the Browning School and enjoys sharing her musical knowledge with boys K through 12 there. In Korea, she collaborates with a fellow violinist and harpsichordist in an education program recently formed called Books and Music, a series dedicated to introducing Baroque historically informed performance in a more intimate, casual setting in hopes to spark further interest in the style alongside other art forms. And we'll be talking about yoga today. Welcome, Anna. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you. (laughs) Yeah, of course. It's always good to see you. So we met in my undergrad at University of Southern California, Thornton School of Music. Yes. You were one of the incoming Ralph Kirschbaum students when during my time was named the Piotrgorsky chair, which is one of the main string chairs that you can hold there. And it's a big deal. And uh-huh. with that, he brought in such amazing people and cellists. Oh, and and it, no. you guys kind of intimidated me for effort. Because oh, I was just a little no. wee, like freshman, sophomore, you know, and you guys were like so good. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot live up to them. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, I studied with him in England when he Mm -hmm. was teaching there. He studied at the Royal Northern College of Music. And then when I moved to England, the next year he was like, oh, actually, I'm going back to the States. (laughs) You made me move. (laughs) I know. (laughs) No, I mean, that was like a really awesome, actually stayed there longer, even after he announced to go back to the US, to LA. So then I stayed there another year. Oh, okay. And then then I came the second year that he was at USC. That's right. Yeah. I feel like I learned so much, not just watching you guys perform and play and absorbing like all the amazingness that you guys are, but also just getting to know you guys on such a fundamental friend level. And I mean, I feel like despite some of my intimidation at first, since then I felt kind of silly for being intimidated because you guys are so nice and so chill, you know, and also musically, like we're all in it together kind of thing. I know. know? It's just, it's just, I'm just pointing out some of my imposter syndrome and just, you know, like how easy it is to kind of trick yourself to think that the others are a little bit scary or you don't live up to them in some way or something like that you know yeah oh I feel like also intimidated by you having thought that because I'm just like now I'm like oh (laughs) I hope that like we didn't no that's what I'm saying is I quickly learned that you guys are awesome Mm -hmm. inside and out like I'm still friends with you guys you know it's not like it's so easy to be like separate each other from studios but mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I just feel like yeah we are all in school together like we're all practicing like I love just like that practice room vibe and like yeah I was just like roaming and hanging out and just like the whole experience of yeah. playing like chamber music together and practicing together and just like hanging out and like during breaks like going out to get like bubble tea and mm-hmm. eating at food trucks and yeah. yeah 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 it was just like the whole yeah despite experience yeah Yeah. sorry I didn't mean to interrupt but I I was gonna say despite being in separate studios and feeling separate in that way in the practice room setting it always is really a moment where we all are as you say in community together and we're all going through the same things together you know Mm -hmm. despite Mm -hmm. any separation that any school might put onto us as students you know either with studio or with grade or with anything we're all flowing in the same stream together I know and I I feel like at USC it was like the first time I did feel like that community where I was yeah like I feel like a lot of people like just like regardless of instrument we all were like really open to play for each other and yeah yeah yeah, like ask each other things about Mm -hmm. like what we're we're practicing and like run through things for each other and it was a really nice community yeah (laughs) 
So I don't really know if this is a funny story because I'm sh- mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other funny memories attached to these, but I actually always remember more or less your laugh. <laughs> and I'm like suppressing it now. I know. <laughs> I know. But your laugh is so contagious. And it also brightens up the room wherever you go. And that's like something that I always admired about you as a person. And as, because it's just like so such a wonderful trait to have is to lighten and brighten the room wherever you are. Oh, and your baby. laugh is like very, not to like make you self-conscious, but it's a very full laugh like you can hear it like so if I'm walking into a room and you're laughing I'm like oh Anna's in the room I'm gonna go in the room because she's there I want to be there <laughs> that's so funny I think it's a beautiful laugh and it, 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 it's like it's wonderful it just brightens my day <laughs> oh my yeah, I, I think people would say like, oh, if they were like in a practice room and they're like all these like different aisles, they'd be like, oh, we know where Emma is. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. Like that, that was like common. But it's such a wonderful way though. It's like, at least you're not screaming. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I announced my presence. <laughs> Do you have a funny memory of me? Or- not funny but yeah. the most recent memory well like not between us but just like the Ludoslavsky recording oh is God. that like yeah no, I just feel like it. I have to put you on the spot okay <laughs> a little bit and just like say how amazing that is oh thank but you just like it's amazing to meet you and like you're playing after mm-hmm. like I don't know it was like maybe like yeah I think I improved since my undergrad been... days so <laughs> no of course oh my gosh no I don't think I like properly like I don't think we played for each other oh like, I don't know yeah no in, idea. um at USC so uh-huh. then like also like to hear you play like this like crazy piece like to mm-hmm. play like the Lusoski quartet and like you guys owning it and you I'm like learning and see, looking at the score and just like how did she put this crazy score yeah like how does she like make that so like personal like and oh. so like gutsy and expressive like how did she make this score turn into like her own I really admired that Thanks. And just to see so many years later. I have yeah. to say, I, it is one of my prouder moments. Just the range that you guys had on that is just really, really incredible. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, that was a six-year-ago performance. And it is six still on ago. YouTube. If you just yeah, the String did. Quartet, you can go down and there's, it's probably the fourth or fifth video. It's where I'm in the recital hall at San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Yeah, and, and just to point out, so Ludoslavsky wrote this piece aleatoric, meaning that every person is supposed to be separate from each other. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the composer didn't even want to write a score for the piece for that very reason, so that everyone was just on their own planet orbiting with each other. Wow. But the LaSalle String Quartet, who first premiered it, they wanted to have a score because they just needed a roadmap. They needed to know how to how it even ever lines up. So Louis Slosky conceded and then wrote a score. And when you look at the score, it's quite intimidating. Because <laughs> It's, it's like a literal map. It's yeah. just like arrows and things aligning with each other. Yeah. Like totally non-conventional. Yeah. You get a lot of cues and that can look really confusing. And there's even pages where it's just literally one measure because it's so complicated. But mm-hmm. once you understand that it's just trigger points along the way, like if mm-hmm. someone plays this little motif, that signals you to play the next thing. It, mm-hmm. it ends up actually making a lot of sense as it goes through. And it's yeah 
actually a lot more like, or even maybe more so like chamber music because you are literally listening to cues from people. And what I also love about this piece is that every performance is uniquely different. It's not like a Mozart string quartet where you know where you're going to get and there's performance ways of surprising you, but you just know the music is the music, right? Kind of thing. Yeah. It's up to you how long you want to play this groove and this motive. And uh-huh. then it's like, okay, I feel like going on to the next thing and that triggers the rest of your other mates to come with you. And then, mm-hmm. so every time it's different. Okay. Aww. And are you ready for some Spitfire questions? Okay. Mozart or Beethoven? Mozart. But Anna, what about the Beethoven cello sonatas? Mm, I know they're like, I recently played the seven variations that we have. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's the like Mozart. One? Oh yeah, the, that's true. The E flat, E flat. That's like yeah. Mozart and Beethoven and mashed Beethoven. together. That's yes, like a perfect yes. marriage. Maybe that's like what it is. Yeah. It's like so, those are so charming and I really like those a lot. So yeah. the seven variations is, there's three sets of them, I believe, for cello. And the one that's probably most often performed, right, is the E flat one, which is based on the aria from Mozart's Magic, Magic Flute. Magic Flute, uh-huh. So that's yeah. why it's a perfect marriage of Beethoven that's... and Mozart together. Yeah. And Beethoven is so good at writing variations that it's just like, <gasps> yeah. Yes. It's just like, he just goes through like the human experience, just like so many emotions, so, so quirky. Yeah. And both are surprising, you know, as in both composers are so good at surprising you, but Mm -hmm. in such Mm -hmm. different ways, you know, so that's where it's it's fun. Yeah. That's a perfect way of like answering that question. Shostakovich or Prokofiev? Hmm. I feel like I haven't really played a lot of both. Mm-hmm. Just like listening wise, I really love Prokofiev's lyrical, almost like programmatic. Often, like even just his instrumental works are just like so like you can kind of like imagine an opera going on, kind of. Mm-hmm. Like even in the cello sonata, I feel it's kind of programmatic. Mm-hmm. Like it's like very like operatic, and yeah, like the lines are just. They're just like <laughs> so contrary. No, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, there's something so drawn and expansive about his lyricism and mm-hmm. his melodies that it just sounds like you're pulling this beautiful thread of music. The contours are ever changing too. So it's in that way, it's not just like a scale, like what maybe someone like Beethoven in the or something would do in a violin concerto or whatever. Like it's not predictable. It's like there's certain bends and turns that question some of the expansive broadness but it's just so wonderful oh my gosh patty that was just so articulately like <laughs> like all my thoughts <laughs> you like put them into such cohesiveness <laughs> oh no well thank you but i guess that's where if i already answered this question it's funny because i historically have liked shostakovich more i've only recently and i would say probably most likely through the prokofiev cello sonata i found the beauty in this and so maybe that's where it's easy for me to spill it out <laughs> Because I think about how playing that, I feel I reminisce in the feeling of playing that opening melody and also Mm -hmm. the main melody later in the first movement of this piece and how it just feels so wonderful and glorious and you're just Mm -hmm. basking in the sun of C major and, you know, with the (laughs) piano background. It's just so wonderful. Yeah, I think it's like a beautiful sonata for sure. I really want to revisit it. And actually throughout the pandemic, I've been like drawn to it. I would just like practice it um, like on my own and I'm discovering how like beautiful of a piece it is. And so I really eventually want to play it with, with piano. Soon. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> Netflix or video games? Oh my gosh, neither. Oh, okay. I don't do either. Alternate? 
I watch like sometimes British Bake Off, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh-huh. I guess when I say Netflix, I mean television. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So probably yeah. the yeah. quote unquote Netflix. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Basil or cilantro? Cilantro. Harry Potter, Star Wars, or Lord of the Rings? Oh my gosh. I recently got into Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I recently watched the trilogy, or the original trilogy, and then, oh. like, the other episodes. Because, like, I hadn't ever watched any of them. Mm-hmm. And then my roommates were like, oh, my gosh, who are you? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how can you not have grown up or, like, so much of American culture is related to Star Wars? And... Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you have to subscribe to it either, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of people that haven't watched Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because, like, I... I guess, like, it's also so old, Mm-hmm. Like, it's a lot older. But then just, like, watching, yeah, like, the original trilogy has, like, so much, like, cinematography and, like, the charm of, like, the costumes and mm-hmm. the old technology. So, like, it was fun to see. Oh. Symphony or chamber music? <gasps> chamber music. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Favorite practice room? Hmm. I think I've enjoyed the act of leaving my room and going to like a more sterile mm-hmm. place and um, not allowing myself to have like visual or like mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. distractions. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, if I'm at home, like I would go to the like kitchen like every five minutes <laughs> and then like, like lie on my bed for a bit. So like the act of leaving the house makes things separate the work or like the productivity yeah you're you're someone that needs to do your work outside of your home like that kind of thing and I'm sure that's really challenging for you during the pandemic or even after I know school ever since I left school it's just still a challenge yeah so I feel like I have to like set goals for myself or like push myself to like okay set an alarm do this and I mean I'm not really good at it but I need to but it works a little bit right I mean yeah like I have to set goals for myself and motivate myself yeah have reasons to do certain things Okay. Favorite professor shout out? He passed away now, but when I was in high school and college, I studied with Starker and yeah, because I studied with him so young, mm-hmm. I felt he was like more than a professor. Mm-hmm. He was like really caring and I felt like he was also like a grandfather. Well, um, and that's an impressionable time for you as well, being uh, at that age and finding someone like Jesus, Yano Starker being <laughs> like your grandpa. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. What was he like? Yeah, like, he was intimidating. I think that a lot of people were scared of him. And so it's like, they get surprised that I thought that he was my grandpa because he's known for being quite stern. But, well, I really appreciated his warmth, like, as a person. But then also, like, he just had, like, so many views that he was just, like, really determined. He was, like, so passionate about, like, passing his knowledge and, like, just, like, passing down, like, fundamentals for cellists. So, like, he had, like, just specific views about shifting or Mm -hmm. like how like one's posture like how like relating breathing to movement and efficiency of movement and yeah he had such a specific way of teaching he really wanted everyone to play his own fingerings oh sure yeah and because like I guess like that was like his way of showing efficiency of movement maybe Mm. like the fingering kind of um indicated some yeah like just like different kinds of shifts Mm -hmm. um yeah, like there were so many like rules now that I think back. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like I, um, having left and meeting other teachers, I feel like, oh, like, okay, the third finger doesn't always have to go to the second finger. Mm. Like, there's like a lot of room as long as it sounds good. <laughs> like, right, I see. Like, it's, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I guess it was nice to start with this kind of rule, clear-cut education, and then I mm-hmm. kind of went rogue afterwards, but then you still kind of, like, yeah. internalize and remember and can relate back to yeah. what I What he taught. Learned. What he yeah. taught, yeah. Yeah. And just, I feel like I'm stating the obvious, but I'm going to just in case people don't know who Jano Starker is. Jeez, as a cellist, it's like, I'm putting him on a pedestal for a reason. I mean, he's such a huge soloist and important figure in our world, and at least the cello world, if not the string world, if not the music world. Also, such an important pedagogue. Mm-hmm. And he taught at Indiana Jacobs School for so long, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was his main hub. It was there, right? So, yeah. And produced so amazing students like Anna here (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like I I kind of have been like thinking about him a lot recently just like his like mission for education and pedagogy and I find that just like regardless as like his playing and what he actually said individually just like having a mission you know that was his truth yeah yeah like I just thought that was just an amazing goal he had a vision he had of his truth and what has worked for him and he wanted to profess that as he did yeah and like when, when I hear him talk about like his mission his like goal to like like share music so it con- continues for generations mm-hmm. it's like his like goal is not for his self you know fulfillment but just like for the sake of music and mm-hmm. for the sake of giving to people and I feel like that is like such a beautiful goal mm-hmm. and I'm inspired by mm-hmm. that recently mm-hmm. yeah yeah rest in peace I know <laughs> You did good. (laughs) I know. Thank you. Thank you. Most inspired musical hero of any genre? I think what's like amazing is, I mean, it's like amazing because he's a cellist, but I think the impact that Yo-Yo Ma has had Mm -hmm. on, I'm amazed because the school that I'm teaching at, um, Browning, they don't know other musicians, but they specifically know Yo-Yo Ma. And if I go into their different classrooms, they like have on their bulletin boards, some projects would be like influential people and um, influential like writers or like astronauts or like, and like Yo-Yo Ma would like often be on those Mm -hmm. lists. And like, yeah, like my, my students, they just like compare things to Yo-Yo Ma, like how they want to sound or how they see him sing on the cello and just his impact Mm -hmm. is just, I feel like is so... Yeah, he's a very unique kind of celebrity. Uh Yeah, yeah. He's definitely like, I I guess that's like my point. He's a celebrity status. Yeah. yeah, but it's not the same kind of celebrity that someone like Taylor Swift has. No one is going around with cameras and take, mm-hmm. trying to get photos of him. And that's where it's like he's a celebrity, but he's in the shadows of that stardom. He's in the shadows. But then he's also so deeply influential to everyone. I mean, obviously, as cellists, I mean, that's just, of course. Even outside of what we do, he reaches everyone in some way. Even if it's mm-hmm. just watching his recent comfort videos, right? Have you seen those <gasps> yeah. on Facebook just like the little things he does it's just playing music it's not even he's not trying to sell anything you know yeah and yet he still permeates our entire culture and he shines such a bright light and it's not on anything it's just him and what he does and that's just so rare to find people like that and especially so rare to find someone like that in our field that is able to shed some light onto what we do and bring Mm -hmm. us into more of a view than others yeah because i feel like it's like more than our like small bubble of classical music it's like he's really like reaching out to all of humanity and he really believes in like community and he thinks 
he is a part of humanity and not having that elitist separation. Yeah, like he, yeah. You, you really feel like he has like a purpose. Yeah, <laughs> what a great answer. <laughs> we love you, Yo-Yo, you're the best. <laughs> Next piece you'd like to learn? Well, like some of the pandemic goals. And I asked my friend to, if she wanted to learn Ravel duo with me. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we're working on that this week. And then definitely Coffee of Sonata. But then I really like just really want to meet with friends and yeah. play like quartets. Yeah. You know, I miss really... chamber music parties so much. Oh, yeah. I want to play Schubert. Oh. What is the, like, the epic one? G major minor? G major, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god, I just played that! (laughs) (laughs) You lived my dream, Patty! That's just like, Ah! I was like, wait, is she gonna say it? I just played it. (laughs) Oh my god, it's so epic. It's so fun! Oh my god, the D pedal at the last movement is just, like, so wonderful. I had such a blast. Like, every time, I'm like, this is amazing. Oh my god. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm making a joke. I, <laughs> I don't remember like that specific part, but I just yeah. remember like the recording of Yo-Yo and Kim Kardashian and Kramer and Daniel Phillips. Okay. Yeah, it's just like crazy recording. I listen I remember listening to him being like, okay, what an epic combination of people, but just what a piece. That is also like an example of like expansiveness. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Like, it's like about a forty five minute long piece too. <laughs> But it's just so, just yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Okay, you did it, Anna. Congratulations. You <laughs> made it through the Sidfires. Yay. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> okay, Anna, can you tell me your musical origin story? How did you begin with music? When did you decide it was something that you wanted to pursue professionally? And walk us through all your education and all your professional steps to where you are today. Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> In one minute. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so... <laughs> So many years, so many years to look through. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started when I was three. On my, cello. Um, on cello. Wow. Okay. Yeah, That's my quite par- young. Yeah, I know. My parents were musicians. My mom's dream instrument was the cello. I think like she particularly had in her mind the second movement of arpeggione. Oh, it's so, beautiful. And like she always like mentions that. And also when I like come back to that piece, like yeah. it's also like I love that piece, but like it Too. means wonderful piece of music hard as i know right a word i was <laughs> gonna say but... movement. second movement it's just really it's gorgeous. just oh i agree with wonderful. mom <laughs> yeah i agree with your mom too wonderful so yeah like i just remember it being like a fight of always like them making me practice and then like me feeling like oh like losing out on play dates and mm-hmm. and like especially my sister my younger sister like she I would see her like doing all these fun things and then I would just be like start practicing so when I was younger I felt like it kept me from having fun mm-hmm. <laughs> which I yeah. thought so th- but then like when I got older when I got to high school like I went to like a music camp and just like seeing all these other like musicians and like friends my age just being so driven and hardworking and playing so well and Mm -hmm. being so so disciplined and like and hardworking on their own Mm -hmm. (laughs) I felt like that was like really inspiring Mm -hmm. for me and I was like okay like I can do this too and then after that I started studying with Starker around that time and Mm -hmm. then I studied with Ralph Kirschbaum afterwards and then I saw you at, at USC yeah <laughs> 
And then, yeah, and then I, I moved to Boston and then I, I just kept studying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I was at USC, I was taking secondary Baroque cello Mm -hmm. lessons, and then I would play in, like, Baroque ensemble, and when I moved to Boston, I kind of missed that, and I found the Harvard Baroque ensemble, which was, I mean, not just for Harvard students, but anyone in the area, and, like, they also, like, lent out free Baroque instruments, so I kind of just, like, started going there regularly, and then I just, like, was doing more Baroque music, and then I studied Baroque at... Um, historical performance at Juilliard Mm -hmm. after that and then I'm here (laughs) in New York I stayed in New York and I'm playing both Baroque and regular cello I would say like maybe equally is that a weird transition for you to switch between because when I had previous guest Sarah Stone on the podcast which you're friends with Mm -hmm. as well yeah through Baroque world I mean she says she primarily only plays Baroque cello these days and gamba Mm -hmm. and stuff and only she'll bring out the modern cello to teach really so for Mm -hmm. you 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 kind of sway between the two is there yeah it was like I think when I was like even when I was studying cello at Juilliard I was like I didn't want the things that I had all like learned on modern cello to like go away like I was like always like looking at my thumb and being like Mm. my thumb position callus Mm, yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) like oh it's getting smaller (laughs) but I kept trying to practice or like even have goals like I was like trying to take orchestra auditions so that I would still practice the modern cello wow but so you're it... just like putting your feet everywhere like you know <laughs> like you know what I mean like you're trying to be as versatile for yourself as possible it was like so confusing especially with like the different temperaments um, mm-hmm. and just like the pitch well even within like the different pitch of 415 and 440 or 42 or whatever in like the temperaments of HP there were just different spacings between notes Mm-hmm. like yeah that's like a whole really huge can of worms that yeah, is so like difficult a... to explain yeah uh-huh that I I guess I wasn't even like aware I was playing in a specific temperament I was like what what is that but then I realized my perception of pitch and like we're kind of shaken up mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's always like I can't easily switch between the instruments like I need to upkeep both so like I try to practice both but like these days mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been like I yeah. haven't really been doing well yeah. so I think like it takes me a while to keep both in shape yeah so can you tell me a little bit about books and music mm. when we we had the lockdown I was staying in Korea with my parents for a few months I stayed there longer than I expected because like New York was just this forbidden hotbed right <laughs> right it was like a scary place to be in. So then I kind of like out of nowhere, a Baroque violinist had contacted me to read together. And she had the series Books and Music where like she would have like a lecture from a different field, like literary or art. And she would also have concerts and um, her audience would come to experience both and see how they're related or, mm-hmm. or not necessarily related. So like, I mean, that was kind of separate from that, but we read some chamber music together. And then I also talked to my harpsichordist friend who also lives in Korea and the three of us started playing together regularly and planning concerts and we would play on her series and she also started a new series where she wanted to bring more Baroque music to her audiences and and just to like show that Baroque music there's so much variety and it can be like accessible so she started this Baroque series but I mean I think it's great that you have a series that is trying to show that there's a lot of variety in historically informed performance it's been amazing amazing? just to like work with 
these friends and playing chamber music together. Just like it's been amazing to like study and like to play more Baroque cello and Baroque mm -hmm. music. That's just like a constant discovery for me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Encapsulate all celloness in mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah. True. Yeah. Okay, Anna, are you ready to take a break? Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back. Welcome back from the break. Anna, can you tell me about yoga? How did you discover that practice for yourself? Mm. Well, we were talking about how we were recalling like how when we were in school, we had a group of friends that would go drive to yoga classes regularly. And I think I was a little bit like, I don't want to join them. Like yeah. I didn't see the benefit or like it didn't seem so interesting to me at the time. But then like, I think immediately after school, like a, like a few years later, I got into it and I started doing it. And then I've been like seven, six seven years since mm -hmm. I've been doing it I just like loved the stretching and it was like a physical activity that I can like concentrate on and like work towards improving each time mm -hmm. and it was just like this hour or so of concentrating on something that's like this is just this time devoted to this it's yeah, like you're in nothing the else yeah. you're and you're yeah definitely it's just like everyone in the room when we were <laughs> in yeah, rooms together <laughs> everyone is having their own goal but we're all doing it together at the same time and it mm. is this community experience so, that i love do you so you prefer practicing yoga in a studio with people that's what i thought but then okay. this past year i've been using this app down dog you could set your level of experience or like length it could, you could do it for like 10 minutes or 90 minutes mm -hmm. and you could feel like okay this one i want to focus on my core strength or this just like different types of yoga like hatha like vinyasa mm -hmm. it's been like really time saving is, is down dog a free app it's been free during the pandemic oh that's wonderful yeah, yeah. so it's been really like amazing to do at home yeah but it's, at least it's a good resource I discovered yoga with Adrian over, oh. yeah, like over the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So that's who I've been primarily practicing with. It's nice to have a couple resources like that. And hers are always free. They're yeah. just free YouTube videos. So I think she produces one video a week since like, wow. I don't know, six years or something like that. Like, it's amazing. I know. Uh -huh. And she's in like incredible shape too. It's I know. And she, she um, I love the different topics that she has. Yeah. When you're <clears> looking for something like short, that's something where like, it's like setting your time parameters or what you want to focus on or right. <laughs> if I want to digest or mm -hmm. stretching yeah she's that's amazing yeah like I find though like sometimes when they're different instructors for yoga like each time you don't know like sometimes you don't know who you're going to get yeah. for certain classes and like then... in person in person right yeah, yeah. okay okay and then like i found that like it's just interesting to like hear what people like say during the classes to like have you like focus or like feel yeah. more grounded yeah yeah, yeah. or stew uh, in a thought right i mm -hmm. think oftentimes they kind of pose a question what's your intention for today's practice and whatever that is really commit to that right right yeah. <laughs> and, and i think that's a really helpful tool while you're doing these stretches that are beyond what you normally would do as a human right right they're these super star poses it helps you push through when you start doubting if you can do it or not right yeah, yeah. sometimes I kind of was like doubtful or like judging like yeah. some of their like word choices yeah, yeah. and yeah <laughs> but like I mean this app like literally just tells you to do the pose and talks about like the physical things to focus on like the actual like the instead of kind of outside metaphysical terms 
So it's been like a different experience to have like a person actually say things through their experience Mm -hmm. or how they come to help them meditate and then like an app tell you different aspects of a pose. Kind of been nice to have an app as an instructor. Yeah, because then you can always have it too. That's the other thing. Like you can still post pandemic, enjoy your classes, but if you need something or you feel like you need a stretch, you can do it at any moment. You don't have to wait for a class. As you're saying, like it's kind of a different style too. It changes up some of the repetition of maybe a class or something like that for sure yeah i'll just discuss my yoga journey because it is rather recent and i have questions to ask you Mm -hmm, (laughs) but mm -hmm. similarly i used to look at people and i I should also connect your episode with cindy burton's episode and she talks about yoga and she's someone to me that has always been so diligent and so good with yoga i'm just so Mm. impressed hi cindy so i was similar to you at first i was looking at people who doing yoga and thinking like what a waste of time like, I, yeah. like I'm not the time that you're spending to do a yoga routine you might as well do cardio or weightlifting because you're just going to get mm-hmm. more benefit that way like mm-hmm. and I also feel like I'm actually physically working my body whereas with yoga I just always it's like I'm just doing stretches like what's the big deal but mm-hmm. then during the pandemic I was like okay well I should start doing some yoga I should do something like though I'm not just sitting on my couch all day right and it's actually really from Cindy in me interviewing her so I should also mention part of the benefit of being a host on this podcast is I get inspired by so many of your guys' outside interests. Like now I love fountain pens. Now I (laughs) love yoga. And there's just a number of little things like that where I've, oh, I started to listen to music a lot more than I used to in the past. Thanks to David Gonzalez, like things like this. It's just been such a joy and pleasure. So thank you to all my friends for opening and giving me new inspiration. Right. Anyway, so Cindy's was, I was like, you know what? I should try. I should try doing some yoga. So watching myself in some old videos of me and like I couldn't even do a down dog properly and now I can it's been so rewarding okay but this isn't really my question my question though is I used to hate going to classes because when I would look around I would feel like people were judging me or that like I was being judged or if the teacher came over to me it was like oh crap the teacher came over I've been outed I'm like such a fake and phony and stuff so my question is how do you change that narrative for yourself not like Mm. that you had that narrative but how can you help me change that narrative oh uh uh-huh yeah I have I do agree that you can be conscious of other people and then like when people come and fix your pose you're like oh my gosh I've been doing that completely wrong or it's like I think I'm like centered but then actually my arm's like all the way out here yeah yeah right 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 (laughs) but I think when I first got to it I was kind of out of school and I kind of like wanted a a release like and I was kind of like also living alone at that time so Mm. like I was like staying with my parents during Mm. that year so for me it was like helpful to like actually like be around people and to like take out my anxiety like oh my gosh what am I gonna do next in life and then it it was this time for like me to be quiet in my head for a little bit so it was like really helpful for me at that time but then yeah like the more I did it the more like ridiculous it felt and also it helped because I did it with my sister and we were both experiencing that at the same time and then we were both talking about the poses like what do you do here and (laughs) when you're doing like going from like the chatter on to like up dog like what is your placement of Mm. like your feet and it was really helpful to do it with my sister at that time Mm -hmm. to like experience it together like as newbies yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but I mean like not everyone has that time to experience it yeah as a buddy yeah Yeah. but I'm glad that like you discovered it in the space of your own home yeah the the safety and comfort of my own home it seems like sushi was rooting you on oh maybe (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know. I think she was just like, mom's doing some weird crap. Like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh, she also loves the mat too. She like. Oh, the feeling of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So mm. maybe that's part of it too. Oh, nice. Yeah. But I found that like coming back to the mat, practicing it and like trying to like, okay, like I can't quite get there, but then, okay tomorrow or like yeah it'll keep going for it it was like i really enjoyed the concentration in the moment and then trying to like okay this time i'm gonna try to hold it a little longer or today mm-hmm. i'm gonna try to stretch a little further like okay this like mm-hmm. is not comfortable but like i kind of felt like i was like pushing myself a little bit more yeah, yeah. Um, so i loved the challenge and the concentration and kind of like the discipline of it that was like other than like cello related yeah I totally connect those dots as well that it's something that there are days when I do yoga and I'm like wow like I feel really out of balance I feel really like why is this so hard Mm -hmm. and then there's days where it's like this pose is so easy like so I feel like that's part of something that we as musicians can see that as applying in yoga because we also experience those lulls days where it's something a passage would be so easy but then the next day there's like a little kink in the system and you're like oh why is uh-huh. it so hard today you know i also find it interesting that both are called practices oh yeah you know like that yeah. we practice our instrument and yoga it's a yoga practice right and i think there's significance to that word of practice and that that there's something about a ritual of sorts yeah like that, the consistency of yeah, it that yeah that develops yeah Yeah. And that it's not about being able to suddenly go from zero to 60 in Mm -hmm, these mm -hmm. poses, but that incrementally every day you can get a little bit better. It's like this marination process or something. Yeah. You know, I love food, so I always go back to that. But oh my gosh, it's like the marination of our like muscles and our mm-hmm. <laughs> our joints and everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and strength building, right? Of course. I think that's totally. the other thing too. Like, I also was like, I feel yoga is a waste of time because you're not actually lifting weight or whatever, but you're actually lifting weight. You're lifting your body weight, which is a yes, and when you're I... trying to center it and balance it, which is a whole different kind of strength that yeah. you can't necessarily get just actually deadlifting or whatever. I mean, deadlifting is a really great thing to do, or I just use that as an example, but that, you know, it's isolated. Yeah. Yeah. What I realized when I do yoga is how much I'm lacking in my upper body strength, because I don't really use it that much in my everyday life, I mm-hmm. guess. You would think us playing an instrument, like moving our arms, but I'm not like lifting <laughs> yeah, I understand. Yeah. anything. So like how weak my arms feel just like on an everyday basis and like that strengthening of upper body and then like the core strength is like totally like another like the most beneficial for me yeah yeah it's been nice to realize like it's nice to develop that how long have you been practicing yoga I haven't always been consistent I mean speaking of practice but Mm -hmm. I would say six seven years I think I would have like spurts but I try to go regularly and like yoga can be expensive mm-hmm. <laughs> right? yeah, when I you're can. taking a class but when I came to New York I discovered this donation based studio so it kind of was more affordable what's it called yoga to the people yeah yoga to the people <laughs> yeah I think every major city has one of those right mm-hmm. what do you so- discover for yourself every time you pick it up again is it similar to something in music, like revisiting a box suite or something? It does feel like home and it feels like something that I'm like familiar with. I know that sometimes I don't want to do it, but I know that it makes me feel better afterwards. And mm-hmm. It makes me feel more relaxed mm-hmm. afterwards and during. I mean, maybe sometimes it's like 
oh, this is like a little painful today. Or I mean, not painful, but like maybe the stretch is a little bit like I'm not so flexible quite today. But just like knowing that it's good for me. Do you have any other thoughts about yoga that you wanted to share with our listeners? Mm. Yeah, like I have approached yoga as an exercise. It has until recently been like my like primary or like just like kind of like my only source of exercise. Mm -hmm. So I have recently been trying running, try really in quotation marks. It would be like more of me like running for a minute and then walking for five. (laughs) (laughs) At least that's better than nothing, right? (laughs) So then I was like, okay, maybe I do need a little bit more cardio. But just like yoga has been a great source of exercise for me before that. And I think I like love the physical like movement aspect of it because I feel like I secretly like have always wanted to be like a dancer Mm. or like something like movement related. Maybe if I hadn't done cello. So I really love the elegance of it and like the stretching and like taking up space in like this tiny mat. But yeah, like it's been for me just like my mind exercise. Yeah. (laughs) Which has been just like really grounding. Yeah. I mean, I was about to say there's so many multi levels of benefit that you can have from yoga that stems from not just physical, right? That's the most Mm -hmm. obvious. But yeah, there's a mental capacity of training and pushing yourself, testing your limits, and maybe even pushing forward farther than you think you could have gone, right? And emotional too. I think that a lot of times you need a moment of self-care to go to the mat and only do that and have zero other distractions at that moment. People are starting to realize more and more how important that is. Mm -hmm. And I think that maybe before that was something that was taken for granted, was a moment of peace with yourself. Yeah. Yeah kind of like that one or two minutes of like shavasana at the end it's like a minute like especially if you're in a class you can't look at your phone or like you literally have to have that minute with yourself yeah that's always revealing of like the thoughts to hear my thoughts in my head or to not hear thoughts or yeah right and i kind of i found that like maybe like if i'm doing yoga by myself i would be like okay i'm done with yoga and then i would shut the computer off yeah. But I think I that like minute or two of silence is actually important. Yeah. So I'm going to do that more. Okay. Patty. Yeah, me too. Let's do it together. Let's do a like, yoga club. No dismissing Shavasana. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Can I ask you two final questions? Yes. What in your opinion is the most common misconception of classical music and the classical music world? I don't know if it's like kind of like mixed in with like misconceptions and maybe things we need to like I want to do more of as a musician is like what we were talking about classical music being so in our own bubble or like not reaching out to a bigger audience or having a bubble in a small practice room and (laughs) playing this like very like small subset of music but being able to interact with my community and to interact with all age groups yeah it's been like so revealing to teach children and just like know the types of music or like what they think music is Mm -hmm. like the songs that they are familiar with like the music that they recognize everyone knows the Bach G major prelude and they all want to strive to play that but then they want to like associate the video game music that they're playing and they want to like play be able to play that and I think it's just I wish that what we as musicians can do is like we are able to interact and connect all different aspects of our lives and like how they're not all separate and how like we can like also like use music to play video game music well i mean it sounds like you want all of us to be like yo-yo ma (laughs) 
I know, right? Like, if that's... Being able to just be more connected together instead of just playing this... It's like a niche thing. Playing concertos. Mm -hmm. What I appreciated recently was I had a, a student's mom who was voicing how she didn't really relate to the songs that her son was playing like all of like the suzuki like mm. minuets and and like how like some of them are a little longer like as they get later in the book or mm. the, the higher books and she was like why can't he like just play a song like a whole song from beginning to end mm. or like i i don't know like what those songs are like and in my mind i was like oh it's like they're suzuki songs and they're for like helping him to play the cello yeah better in right. this method and right. like they're not for you to recognize yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. have to recognize all the songs but right but then she suggested like oh like what if you learn something that i know like summertime mm-hmm. or a sentimental mood or like some different tunes that she listens to regularly and she also enjoys and, and also therefore he my student would listen to and recognize as well right so putting it in a context basically yeah making it visceral that way yeah i get that yeah so then we started playing learning these more familiar songs and i think it's like like it's been really exciting for my student to like i think they just want to play it more and more instead of being like oh my god this lightly row is stuck to go kind of thing (laughs) like yeah and then it also encouraged my student's mom to, she feels more like involved in the process. Like yeah. she feels, she wants to show him recordings of summertime. Right. She wants, she's like very enthusiastic to help him practice it mm-hmm. all the time. So I just realized like, okay, yeah, like I was um, sticking to this method, but there's just so many other avenues. Yeah, You're kind of answering my second question at the same time, I believe. Yeah. Which is after all the impact that COVID has done to classical music, what do you think is something positive that will enhance and carry on in our profession? Oh, uh-huh. So mm. you're kind of mentioning destigmatizing. Why do we have to stick to this particular set of books, the Suzuki books, unless you're a Suzuki teacher, but you know, there's maybe other introductions to music and to playing cello and learning, you know, and maybe something is going to be more resonant with someone else than the other, you know, unless there's another thought you had on that question. Our ability to communicate and like have this like access of mm-hmm. being able to connect mm-hmm. without physically being there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the struggle of teaching, or I mean, also of like playing without physically being there, just because like cello and like music is also like very physical art as well. That when you're trying to show something to a student, I can't physically be there to put your bow further down the bridge mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, mm-hmm. but then you find other means. Like I found myself being a lot more descriptive. Mm-hmm. It's like kind of like playing like Pictionary, <laughs> or like, yeah. you know, just like trying to like describe things in words. I feel like when I'm like trying to show like angles yeah. of like the cello, like ha- having your bow straight, I'm like, okay, your bow's at four o'clock can you bring it to three o'clock or right. like just like I had to like rack my brain and try to think of different means of instead of physically just showing them yeah the creativity behind some of the teaching I think is definitely something that's positive for all of us has changed us for and sure. informed us of yeah I think that's a great answer thank you Anna for those answers I think it's really important to talk about some of the pedagogical developments that we've experienced in the pandemic and how we've been able to overcome a lot of those obstacles okay 
And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast, go ahead and press that subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The reviews and ratings help this podcast be more visible to others, and it's a free way to support the podcast. Another free way is to tell your friends and family about it. And you can always become part of the Hiding Behind the Music Stand family by donating to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Stand. Don't forget, there's a Spotify playlist available that contains all the pieces we've discussed on the podcast. It's all really great music, and the link is always in the description of each episode. Follow us on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Hide and Music Stand. Anna, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been too long. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been so, it's been so fun. Yeah. And thanks for listening. Sushi, say bye. <laughs>